Welcome to In Conversation with Ocean Physio. In our third series, we're talking to world-class coaches from across a variety of sports and exploring the methods they use to help others achieve their potential and learning why they do this. In our first episode, we're talking to the exceptional director of cricket at Somerset County Cricket Club, Andy Hurry. Andy, a huge thank you for agreeing to come on our podcast. Thanks very much for inviting me. Um, I feel very honoured uh, and, and thank you for that very kind introduction as well. Oh, it's a pleasure. So Andy Hurry is an outstanding cricket coach. <laughs> and Andy is a former uh, Royal Marines fitness instructor with a 20-year history with Somerset Cricket, who has coached internationally and with England Cricket as head of the England Development Programme. Andy's achieved incredible success throughout his career and worked with some of the best players in the game, including Justin Langer, Marcus Tosothic, Andy Caddick, and current Somerset captain, Tom Abel. Andy, it's been a stellar career so far. Have you enjoyed the journey? <laughs> well, you know, at times it's been a, a real emotional roller coaster. But, uh, you know, there's no doubt that I've lived for the highlights. And uh, on that journey, there's been so much learning. I mean, at times things haven't gone so well. I remember my first year as Somerset head coach in 2006. And uh, we were very poor. And there's no doubt I felt a lot of pressure uh, to try and change things around um, for two reasons. One, I cared passionately about Somerset cricket and it being successful. And secondly, I was a bit conscious about my own career going down the pan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's it, it, definitely been some some highs and lows. And, you know, one, one of the most encouraging things is, is that I've learned on that journey to take the rough with the smooth. Um, there's been so much learning, you know, things that have gone really well uh, and things that haven't gone so well. And I think one of the key philosophies I've taken away from that is how important it is to understand why things didn't go so well and understand why things worked really effectively. But I've been, I've been blessed in that I've worked alongside some outstanding people throughout my whole career, you know, the Royal Marines through to working with the Somerset Cricket Board, which is now the Somerset uh, Cricket Foundation uh, in the recreational game, to then having an unbelievable opportunity to work with the professional uh, players as an assistant coach and strength and conditioning coach. Um, you know, some, some of the people I, I've had the privilege to, to observe uh, has really, really helped me. Uh, there's been things that they've done that have been exceptional. And I've almost taken a mental note that if I ever get the opportunity, I need to be doing that. Uh, and there's been things where I've gone, well, that was different. I'm not sure that if I ever got the opportunity, I would use that method. So there's been some really good learning along the way. Um, and, and I feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to, you know, have all the experience I did in the Royal Marines uh, from being a, a recruit back in the 80s to having some responsibilities as a section commander, um, working with young primary school children um, and making sport fun for them um, was, was really enlightening for me. And I really, really enjoyed that. But the experiences I've had since joining Somerset County Cricket Club have been phenomenal. So I feel very privileged. Did you always kind of know you wanted to go into coaching after you came out of the Marines? Definitely not. And, you know, I, I was very lucky that I played cricket as a, um, as a club cricketer. And I loved cricket. You know, my dad was so influential on me. Um, every Saturday and Sunday, 
when I was a young nipper, he dragged me around uh, Suffolk uh, to watch him play cricket. And, you know, he'd throw balls at me, hit me catches, and then I'd sit there and watch him play. You know, I had the, the luxury of being sitting in the back of the car on long journeys to away games and just listening to the conversations. Um, you know, I was allowed in the changing rooms and then I had the opportunity to start playing myself and I was really passionate about cricket alongside football and all sports, really. I loved athletics as well. And, you know, my PE teacher, um, Mike Scott at Snorbans High School in Ipswich was, again, a, a real influence on me. But I had the opportunity to play uh, Royal Marines cricket, Navy cricket, combined services cricket. And then one day I got a phone call saying, oh, would you be interested in doing a coaching qualification? And I had no interest, really. And I said, well, you know, what does it involve? And they said, oh, it's a weekend away in Portsmouth. And as a young Royal Marine, a weekend away in Portsmouth, I thought, yeah, that sounds good. So I went <laughs> down there. I didn't take it too seriously, if I'm being completely transparent, but I actually really loved it. And with a bit of a back background of being a Royal Marine PTI, I found the session planning and organising people relatively um, easy. And actually, I started to discover things about the game of cricket that I never knew, <laughs> which is fascinating, isn't it? People play the yeah. game, but they don't actually understand why um, and how you can make yourself better. And I found that really interesting. And I did really well. And then they offered me an opportunity to go back on the level two a few mm. weeks later. And I said, what does that involve? And they said, two weekends in Portsmouth. I'm going to up for that. Um, so I, I banked those two qualifications, continued playing cricket with the Royal Marines alongside all the other responsibilities I had there. And, you know, I made the decision to leave the Marines and actually trained as a computer maintenance engineer. But I couldn't get a job anywhere. And it transpired that, you know, with a mortgage over my head, I was recently married. I needed to find myself a job. And I was looking through my my folder of all my coaching qualifications and certificates in it. And I thought, why don't I go down to Somerset County Career Club and tell them I was next Royal Marine PTI and see if there's a job down there. So off I trotted to the Somerset Cricket Board, the recreational side of the, of the club, and uh, knocked on their door, said, is there any opportunities? And they were very quickly turned around to me and said, no, there's nothing. So off I went, <laughs> tail between my legs. Mortgage was due to be paid in about three weeks' time, and I thought, right, I've got to do something. So I went back down and said, look, I'm prepared to work for free. Oh, you come work for free, no problem. Uh, and then after three days, having seen me operate, um, they offered me a job working in schools cricket, and I absolutely loved it. And uh, I set up my own business, and one thing led to another. Started working with the Somerset age groups, started getting involved in coach education, so coaching the coaches, and then one day I got a phone call from the Somerset uh, head coach, Kevin Shine, saying, oh, I understand you're an ex-Royal Marine PTI. Would you be interested in coming to do some pre-season fitness with a professional squad? And I bit his arm off. And one thing led to another, and then they offered me a full-time job, and the rest is history. That's, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because if you've, you've really come from the, the grassroots of sport, a, a player, not at the professional level, and come up through the through the sort of grassroots of coaching. The normal routine nowadays is that ex-professionals go and become the coaches. And you, I think you're the only, or certainly were the only ECB level four qualified coach who wasn't a professional. So you've come right through that coaching journey. Do you think that's helped you? Uh, without doubt. And I think there's so much value with ex-professional players across any sport becoming coaches because they've got so many experiences um, that I certainly don't have. Um, from playing the game. So I think there's real value for ex-players um, who've got a real love 
for helping people becoming uh, coaches. There's no doubt, you know, the foundation I had working up from the bottom um, to, you know, the levels I achieved, um, you know, gave me a, a different sort of grounding. And I think what's been really important for me is to understand that my journey needs to be different to an ex-professional player. And because I don't have some of the experiences and knowledge and expertise that they would have had, I've had to, you know, bide my time, speak, to, spend a lot of time investing in talking to other players, absorbing environments to really understand how the professional game works. So it's been a very different journey. But I feel very fortunate that, you know, I'll never forget where I came from. And, you know, I feel very, very grateful for the opportunities that I've had. And I've really relished that. Well, it's interesting timing, isn't it? Because, you know, if you think back to cricket not that long ago, it, you know, in our life, it wasn't quite the athletic, dynamic sport that it is now with 2020. And uh, it seems to me that a Royal Marines PTI coming into the game is an ideal fit. You know, you only have to look at extra chiefs and stuff. Their s and coaches are uh, former Royal Marines. And you coming into the game at that time with that incredible background of knowledge of strength and conditioning might have just been quite nicely timed alongside your cricketing passion to help the game get a little bit more professional along that side of things. Yeah, I think there's definitely value in that. And I think I've been fortunate and had a lot of luck of being at the right place at the right time. So, you know, my introduction into the professional game was back in uh, 2001. Um, and the game was going through a transition. And, and I know that rugby went through a similar transition. Yeah. It became professional. And, you know, the timing was right for someone to come in with a different perspective. And, you know, again, I think what the club was attracted to was my Royal Marine background. You know, you know, the Royal Marines are associated with uh, being in an elite environment and, you know, a huge amount of integrity, professionalism uh, and hard work alongside having you know some expertise as well and i think that's what the club needed at that time so i was very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time and people to have seen or be aware of you know what potentially i could deliver and then i think what i, I i'm grateful for was that i knew one or two of the characters the players within the changing room and i thought I, there's two ways i can go about this i can go in and do it the royal marine way carte blanche and I'll probably lose one or two of them because it's going to be a bit of a shock to the system for them. Or I can actually go and catch up with some of those players that I had a relationship with and just find out, you know, what's worked really well up to this point. You know, what's one thing you might do differently? Um, and, you know, that gave me some good insight. And what I thought was quite clever with <laughs> was that I made sure I in included some of the, that feedback into the sessions I did. And interestingly, they all loved it. Um, I was a little bit different and based on my background, you know, it went from strength to strength and, you know, the head coach at the time was, was really pleased with what I delivered. So, you know, one thing then led to another um, and then I got offered the opportunity to um, work as an assistant coach, do some of the analysis work alongside doing some of the strength and conditioning. And you fast forward 20 years now and, you know, they're, they're all separate roles because the game has evolved. Yeah. And, with that background, I feel very fortunate as director of cricket now that when I'm speaking to our S&C coach who's dealing with our under-10s, I understand I've got some background insight into that. Speaking to our, our lead S&C who works with the senior professional players, some of them you know, performing for England, I've also got some experience of that. 
and even though it's his area of expertise now, I've got a bit of background knowledge into that, and I think that's very helpful. Oh, it must be incredibly helpful. But to, to have that little bit of knowledge and everything and have done it yourself. So how would, how would you, it sounds like you've really engaged with players. How would, how would you describe your coaching style? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question because it's definitely evolved. Um, you know, so as a Royal Marine PTI, it was very autocratic. You know, there was a structured program where we're looking to take raw recruits through uh, to get them physically robust enough to be able to deal with the demands of the commando tests. Um, so that was very autocratic. And I, I feel that the insight I had working with primary school children stretched me to work in a different way. And over time, I've, I've built up uh, a style that is now consensus, but with the ability, when required, to be autocratic. You know, one of the things I, I, I'm passionate about and I'm very fortunate that I work alongside people who also share this passion, is that there's a number of people that have got a lot of talent. And what we've got to do is create the space for those individuals to be able to flourish. We've got to be there with the expertise to be able to support that. Um, but we've got to create an environment that allows them to be stretched. Um, but then we're there to provide the expertise to keep them moving forward. Um, and then at the appropriate time, if progress isn't being made, is to have the insight to be able to explore through, you know, effective conversations, you know, what the next steps are going to be to get us over this obstacle that's holding us back from that player or person developing. So I, I, I'm very, very passionate about um, giving autonomy to my staff and my players, um, but creating an environment that allows them um, to, to, to develop with the right environment and having the right tools to be to get go away and express themselves. But that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, that sounds fantastic. A fantastic environment to be in as a player. But you've got players that are young guys who are coming into the game and starting their professional journey, as well as in the same team, international superstars who are like household names. So blending that for all those players must be quite an interesting um, experience to work with different players at different parts of their journey. And I think the reality is, is that, you know, you're relying on your expertise to get that right more times than you get it wrong. But the reality is, is that sometimes you do get it wrong. Um, and, you know, having that awareness that you're not going to live in a, in a perfect world is a good place to be in. But have, have the awareness to be able to go, OK, we didn't get that perfect. How could we have done that better? So it's really important to not only be really thorough with your planning, um, be able to, to provide the, the support to develop people. Um, but if you don't, you need to make sure that you review it as well. You know, if it's gone well, why has it gone well? And if it hasn't gone so well, okay, how can we do that better? Because um, the reality is in professional sport, you know, it's a very emotional game. Um, there's a lot of very talented players and there's a lot of ego involved. And that's okay. And sometimes you're going to absolutely get that right. You're going to nail it on the head. And sometimes you're going to get it slightly wrong. But you want to try and get it more times right than you have done wrong, that's without doubt. You, you naturally think that everybody in professional sport is supersonically confident and incredibly talented and really driven. But they actually have the same vulnerabilities as everybody else. And part of your role is to pick them up when they're down as well as encourage them when they're doing well. So that, that's it's it's a... It's a blended role, isn't it, that you, you have? Yeah, the psychological side of it, 
is huge in professional sport. Um, you know, I've seen many examples of players when they're not they're playing for the love of the game because they're, they're the recreational players. They absolutely dominate it. But you add that extra layer of pressure around now this being your living. Uh, some players adapt to that really well and some players find that more challenging. And that's where you've got to start looking for some of the, the key indicators that someone's finding a little bit tough. That You, you recognise those and then get the appropriate support in. Uh, you know, I would say it's one of the most frustrating elements of the the professional game is the psychological side for players. Um, and it's about educating those players about developing coping strategies. So they've got the skills and tools to be able to deal with some of the scenarios um, that, 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 that's, that's challenging them. I think it's really important for a, a player's journey to experience some adversity. Um, and actually, we're, we're looking to try and create some obstacles for players to develop that resilience and those coping strategies so later on in, in their careers they're more resilient to deal with some of the more demanding challenges of the the top end of the game whether that's in first class cricket or the international game um, but again I think it's fair observation for me to share is that the reality again is is that no one goes through this linear development uh, phase throughout their careers. There's always obstacles, challenges and setbacks. Uh, and that's one of the realities of professional sport. Well, it's quite interesting you say that, that you're creating those scenarios, because the more you read into the psychological side of sport and actually the successful, most successful players, they have what is often described as a rocky road. So they don't have a smooth path to, to success. They have a very rocky road. And if it's you know too easy or too straightforward, actually, it, it can get in their way. So the fact that you're creating some obstacles, particularly in cricket, is, I think, really inspired. Yeah, and I think, you know, within cricket, the, the general model tends to be that, you know, you're introduced to the game at a very young age, uh, four, five, six, seven. You're playing because it's fun. You start to get some experiences um, within some group situations, and then you get to start to play a little bit of competitive club cricket, and then you get if you're talented, the opportunity is to play some representative cricket, whether that's district cricket or county age group cricket. And then there starts to be to uh, have the opportunity to experience some of those challenges, some frustrations, some disappointment. And then I think one of the key things we look to do is if someone's really, really talented, we want to try and stretch them, but within a safe environment at a higher level to create some obstacles for them. So it is a little bit tougher for them. So there's learning that does take uh, place. So then we can go back and work with that player to try and find the solutions and how they can overcome those things. Um, and there's lots of history of some of the really, really top level international cricket players who've had to deal with some real personal adversity as well. Um, and that actually develops that resilience, that determination, because that's one thing that sets the very top players apart from players that are just good county players is that they're so determined, they're so resilient, they understand the connection between the skill element of the game and the physical and psychological aspects of the game. They connect all that together, and so they're a more rounded uh, player to deal with any obstacle that's thrown in front of them. That's, that's so fascinating to listen to, because cricket, I think above all sports, has this knife-edge psychological aspect to it, that one tiny mistake is 
catastrophic to your your performance you know when you're batting you know one tiny mistake and you're out and everyone can see it and you know particularly with the, the modern game one bad over as a bowler can really really influence the game so that's a massive amount of pressure for players to cope with at any age isn't it yeah and i think one of, one of the things we try to reinforce is you can only control what you can control so i'll give you a couple of scenarios if i see a player trying to execute something that I've never seen in practice I, I, I get frustrated by that if I see a player trying to execute something that he has practiced but didn't execute it well I'm okay with that and I think that's the philosophy that the, the senior England uh, one day team has now uh, undertaken is that they back their players because they've practiced and if it's an execution issue that's okay to get better at executing it but if you're not practicing it and you're doing something outside of your bubble because you're not thinking clearly under pressure, then we need to address that. The, the key is, is being able to control the controllables. Um, we, we had an amazing one-day bowler uh, for Somerset called Alfonso Thomas, and he had an unbelievable reputation about to hit the hole at the end of an innings when he was bowling and execute his Yorkers under pressure. If you look back, people only remember him hitting the hole, executing those Yorkers. People don't remember the times he missed it. And you grow a reputation of being able to do things consistently. When I was speaking to Alfonso about this, he, he was really, really clear that he needed to practice intensely to give himself the best chance of executing under pressure. And, you know, he'd back himself at the top of his mark to run up and hit the hole and create pressure on the batsman. And if the batsman hit it for six or took a huge risk and played inside out and got it over third man for four or six, he can't control that. He's just executed what he can control. And he'd walk off the park happy in his mind that he'd done and executed what he could control. He'd be disappointed if he didn't execute. And then he'd go away and practice even harder and look at ways where he could really challenge himself to execute that under pressure. That's right. So he would create scenarios in training to, to replicate that feeling of pressure, the consequence of doing it in a game as close to as possible because you can't actually ever replicate um, that feeling you get when you're out in the middle in front of 20,000 people and it comes down to the last ball and it's you versus the batsman. You can never get as to the perfect um, um, connection to that as what it would be in real life. But you've got to keep finding ways to keep stretching your ability to perform under pressure and keep thinking of creative ways to get that as close to that scenarios you possibly can and the interesting thing is is that I know how again having spoken to him is that he would always keep recalling positive experiences that he had had in similar sorts of situations and trying to block out the crowd block out the scoreboard and just be very very clear at the top of his mark about what he was looking to do in that one moment uh, it's just gold dust that to listen to that insight at that level because that's that's incredible pressure and incredibly exciting to watch and it's often said that the best players, their biggest attribute is being not necessarily comfortable, but able to cope with uncomfortable situations. And if you try and avoid those un uncomfortable situations in sport, it's unlikely you're going to, going to progress too far. But top level sport at any level, you know, there are uncomfortable scenarios within it. That's brilliant. Yeah. And, I, and I think when you're working with a player who's developing, so he's on this journey to becoming a top player. Um, you've got to keep creating those scenarios that really do put them under pressure. 
And it's okay if they don't succeed. And the reality is, is that there's going to be times where they, they do fail, but it's okay because you want to provide that experience so learning can be taken from it. So you can then go back to training and you can start working on developing that skill, creating the pressure. Um, so the next time they get given that experience, they have the tools to deal with that situation in a, in a, in a better way. That's, I mean, that sounds very cultural. It sounds like an, an organisation that creates a culture that players have to trust that it's okay for them to fail. And that's not easy to create that culture from what under nines to elite. Um, how do you go about creating that kind of supportive culture within Somerset? So I think, I think you make a really valid point because players are under pressure to perform because they don't perform, they don't get their contracts renewed. Coaches are under pressure for the team to perform, otherwise they don't get their contracts renewed. So it's a, it is a challenge creating an environment where it's okay to fail because we're working towards uh, a bigger goal. Um, and, uh, and culture is the bedrock of any environment to, to flourish from within. Um, and it's really, really important that there's trust within that environment and that culture. Um, and trust is an easy thing to say and talk about, but actually what people are looking for is evidence of when things don't go well, that you do stand by what you said. You know, your integrity is, is true. And, you know, as director of cricket or as head coach, uh, or when I was in the Royal Marines, one thing I took away from all those environments was actually I could trust that person next to me. And, you know, the only way you do gain trust is by living it day in, day out. And when under pressure, people do stand by what they say. Um, and then you build that confidence within that culture that actually... I can keep stretching myself. I can keep trusting my training. And I know I'm, if I deliver what I've been practicing, you know, I've done really well. And if I don't quite execute it, I know people are not going to chop me off at the ankles. What they're going to do is understand that I've done everything I possibly can and they're going to keep supporting me to get even better moving forward. Um, it's been really interesting over, over the years that we've, we've tried to grow and develop a culture that's built on commitment in everything we do commitment to each other um it's been built on respect which includes trust where again we're respecting the game we're respecting you know each other within our own environment but we also respect the opposition and we want to treat each other like we're a family and you know again they're easy things to talk about because when you're under pressure or it gets challenged you know, it needs strong leadership to make sure we keep going back to those those values that we're all about. Um, and once you get that embedded and it takes time and it takes courage to see it through, it then becomes a culture. And, you know, where we are currently on a journey and now I've been involved in a senior leadership position at the club since 2006. We're in a really strong position. But there's no doubt at times that has been significantly challenged. And, you know, at times it's very, very difficult to gain the courage to keep seeing it through. But if you do that, you then develop this culture where people feel safe to be able to go and express themselves, be the best version of themselves. And it then becomes self-fulfilling. You know, whether it's someone who's in our county age group system at under 15 or it's one of our senior international players, 
everybody's working hard to try and live by those values and that culture the club reflects. It just sounds great. I mean, I, this sounds like exactly the sort of organisation you'd want your children to be involved in, your best, your favourite players to be involved in, your mates or coaches. Uh, I, I'm just not a believer that people perform well under fear. And if you're involved in the sport a lot, there is a lot of fear. Players are either creating themselves or, or, for, or from external influences. They're fearful of, of underperforming um, and their perception of that. And unless they have that culture that they're, it's safe to perform, safe to, you know, like you say, make a mistake as long as it's an execution-based one. Then, um, but that that comes from the top, and you've created that, which is very brave and, and fantastic to hear. And and again, the reality is is that that has been threatened, um, because that that's the reality of life. P- people sometimes feel feel it's uncomfortable and don't like it, and then push back against it. And that's where you've got to have that courage. And again, the reality is is that. After that very challenging year um, as head coach in 2006, you know, we had to do things differently. And it was really important that we, we involved, you know, people within the organisation to have an input into how we want to operate moving forward. Um, so they were invested in what the strategy, the vision was going to be. Um, and where we were lucky is that we worked really, really hard, but we got the results. So in that next year, we got promoted from Division 2. We did really well in the one-day competitions. And we took a lot of momentum into 2007. And people could make the connection around what we were trying to do and the success it was bringing on the field. If we'd lost that year, it would have been a completely different scenario. And we'd have to review it and think about how we can fine-tune that to keep us moving in the right direction. But we got momentum behind it. People believed in it. Individuals were performing, the team were performing, and we were successful. And then after that, we continued that momentum on into, you know, for you know, four or five years. And people wanted to get on this bus and come on this journey with us. But the secret, I feel, was it was a, it was a, a vision, a strategy, a way of operating that people had an input into how we, they felt we could be at our very best. And so it was a collective consensus approach to how we were going to operate. And then since then, it's just been self-fulfilling with some fine-tuning along that journey. Yeah, and that's, that is such a cultural thing. So there, there was a quote from a player who, in that, at that time that you're talking about there who said he had great regard for the coach over in Somerset. And that was a reason why he wanted to go and join the club. And that was Justin Langer. So... Justin Langer, the iconic opening batsman for Australia and actually the current coach. He went to Somerset. The reason that I, I read in a quote was because he had great regard for the coach over there. That was you and what, what you were doing. How was it working with Justin? Yeah, it was phenomenal. Um, like-minded people. Um, and I think that's what you want. You want people who you know, share the same values uh, and beliefs. That's fundamentally important. Um, so character becomes a really instrumental part of a culture, a vision, a strategy that you're looking to try and develop. Um, but it's also OK to have some outliers that see the world slightly differently so they can check and challenge um, the way you're operating. Because you don't want to be too blinkered. You want to be open to different ways of operating. And I think, again, one of the challenges that we faced is that having created a culture, we've still got to be open to doing things differently differently. 
So we've looked to try and bring coaches, players in that look at the world slightly differently, have a different lens, how they see the world. So it can challenge the way we operate. Um, and I think that's really, really healthy if you want to keep progressing. And I think it's one of the things that we've done pretty well in the fact that we've been very open to doing things in a different way and not just resting on our laurels thinking we've got all the answers. Well, yeah, otherwise it's too narrow. It's, it's too, as much as it is your vision, if it's just your vision, it, it's not broad enough to, to achieve true success. So that's very open of you to do that. Yeah, I think it's always difficult if you've got one person saying, this is what we're going to do, let's go. And if the core group don't believe in that direction of travel, they're not going to come with you. As soon as you are under pressure, and usually that's through the individual performances or the team not doing well, they're going to push back on that and there's going to be some resistance. And that's why it's so important that it's a collaborative approach. Uh, and, you know, it, when you're leading something like that, you, you know, you have to be very open to listening. And even though you might think this is the way we need to go in a certain theme, you might have to be open to doing that differently because the consensus um, thinks differently. And then it's about having a good, robust, safe, healthy conversation to understand their rationale and then make an informed decision. And I think, again, looking back over uh, my career and the people that I've worked with, there's been a real open, openness that if there's a better idea, let's be open to hearing that. And then let's talk it through and confirm it's better than the one we may have had. And then let's go and do it differently. That's so refreshing. I mean, the, the whole kind of my way or the highway just doesn't work. You know, I just it might work in the short term, but if you're trying to build something over a period of time, it does it doesn't really it doesn't make sense to do that. But it's so common in sport and in life, actually. Yeah, but I think there are examples where you need to be autocratic because the time is so restricted. You may have to give very clear autocratic direction because we need to get over this obstacle right now and we haven't yeah. got time to talk through it. But, you know, as a general philosophy, I think, you know, the way we operate and my preference as a, as a leader is to be have a consensus leadership style to involve people in that decision making process. Because I've found through my experiences and observed other people uh, in leadership roles being successful is that the consensus approach, having an open mind, using ideas um, is a very, very powerful one. And I can even go back to some experiences in the Marines where, you know, the section commander, the troop commander, the company commander is giving clear direction. But actually, you know, there's great learning uh, in the Marines over history that actually give con command and control to the person on the ground because they're the ones that actually are living it every second of it, given that autonomy to make decisions on the ground. And I, and I found that a very uh, insightful experience to help shape the way I see the world. Well, that's really interesting with the game of cricket because the captain in cricket, the player on the ground, is is so influential, more so than in other sports, way more so than other sports. And you have to be really careful with your your choice of captain to lead as you want him to. I mean, that started with Justin. Um, what sets players like Justin and your other captains apart? Um, an openness to listen, um, but the strength of mind to make their own decisions. Um, and I think one key attribute of the best leaders I've seen operate, the best captains, is they put the team first. And again, their behaviours 
reflect what they want the team to do. So they're consistent in their behaviours. That um, they're some of the key attributes of really effective leadership that that I've seen. But you know, it comes back to trust again between the coach and the captain to be able to feel they have an environment that, that's safe to have challenging and robust discussions where you can have differences of opinion. You talk through those differences and then you have a collective agreement. So when you go out and address the team or you go out onto the field, everyone now is behind that decision or that those tactics that you're going to look to operate. And then if a decision is made on the field to change that, we have to trust the leader on the ground. And if it's really effective, you know, you, you then review why that decision was taken, why it was effective, and it wasn't effective. Again, you review it and you work through it and you discuss what some alternative suggestions or ideas might have been. And then it, it is a journey with leadership. You know, you're going to get some things right and you're going to get some things wrong. It's about the learning. And I think, again, some of the great attributes I've seen from captains and leaders is the ability to say, I've got that wrong. There's a different way of doing that. But, I mean, you, you made a brave decision with the current Somerset captain, Tom Abel. So he was 22, I think, when he, you made him captain, which is quite young. Um, but there must have been something about his personality type that made you think that this, is, this person can lead this, this team with players who are quite a bit older than them in the team. Um, it, what sort of thing do you look for in a player or a captain like that? I think first and foremost, I can't take credit for making him captain. But uh, there's, there's no doubt that, again, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier on. Um, you know, the director of cricket at the time, the, the head, uh, head coach at the time, saw these attributes of uh, a leader I know they were quite raw at that stage because he hadn't had much experience under his belt. He had some opportunities to lead in county age group cricket. He'd, he'd led in uh, university cricket. He'd led in second level cricket. The, the foundations were there. And it was about being brave, giving him a lot of support in the early days, uh, understanding, again, that it's okay if it doesn't go right sometimes because this is a longer-term project. And I think... One of the key things is, it's about making decisions that aren't short term, unless you have to. But it's about having that patience and courage to see something through and providing the support around to allow people to develop. And I think it's one thing that we can be really proud of as an organisation at Somerset is that we like to recognise talent. So that might be a player to play or it might be as a leader, a potential leader, or it might be as a coach. You see the, the underlying potential. You've then got to create the opportunity for them to grow. And when they grow, there's going to be times where they get it right and there's going to be times where they don't get it wrong and accept that that's okay. But you want to make sure that they keep going forward in an upward trajectory in their development with a, as, as a player, a coach, or as a leader. And it's having that supportive environment around with the rele relevant expertise to support, port, support them through the good times and the challenging times because if, if you've identified talent correctly at the outset, you're going to get the rewards later on down the line. But that must be incredibly rewarding to be involved with because you've, you've seen that come to fruition with the likes of Jack Leach and Don Bess who came to Somerset as children, you know, under 10s probably, and have gone on to represent England. I mean, that's, that must be incredibly rewarding to see that. I think it's one of the most satisfying things um, 
that I've had the privilege to to be involved with um, is seeing people develop. Um, and you, you highlighted there some some players. Um, you know, Jack Leach used to come into the indoor school when I was working as a recreational cricketer uh, coach um, when he was seven years old. And you know, to see his journey and to have been around when he's faced some challenges and obstacles within that journey. Um, for them to see him go on and be a national hero for his, for his country, you know, is being a real, real pr privilege. And, you know, I think that's what we're all about. It's about recognising that talent, creating opportunities, providing support and giving them autonomy to go away and express themselves and a chance to be the very best version of, the cell, of themselves. And, you know, there's no doubt as a coach or as a leader, whether it's a player or whether it's a fellow coach, that's the most satisfying thing. And, you know, we've even had players where we've been involved in their development. They've had some relative success with Somerset and they've gone on to other clubs. And it's great to actually see them um, do well in other environments. Yeah. You know, it's about the individual. It's about always putting that person at the centre of every decision you're making and giving them the best opportunity you possibly can. And I think that's one of the key attributes any coach or leader can have is you know you need to have expertise. You need to know what you're doing. You need to be there to be able to deal with situations that are thrown at you where they, it needs leadership. However, it's about giving people that space to go away and express themselves and be that very best version of themselves. And I think any environment that can create that is giving each individual the very best chance to be you know successful and, and achieve their aspirations and that's just music to my ears because you are coaching cricketers but you know you're coaching people and you're helping young people develop through their lives and they're giving you everything when they come to a club like Somerset and it's just so refreshing to hear you say that you're supporting them through that journey and I know you really mean it that to, to take them through that journey wherever it might take them it's up to them to take it where they want to take it with the information they're given but without without some genuine support they're going to really struggle particularly in cricket which as we said is a psychologically challenging sport at the best of times yeah and, and, and at times it can be frustrating and at times you know you're scratching your head about how you can get someone over an obstacle and at times you know you don't you don't succeed in that you know and that's very disappointing um and you know we go back to some of the successful stories of people fulfilling their aspirations, you know, which is hugely rewarding. There's also times where, you know, parts of the job are, you know, really, really difficult. You know, not everybody makes it. Sometimes you have to let players go. Some, sometimes you can see the frustrations of a player really, really struggling uh, to find the answers that they're looking for. And, you know, you always ask yourself the question, what else could I have done to, to have supported that individual? Um, you know, and at times, it, you know, there's a lot of burden that weighs on your shoulders, um, which creates a lot of stress. And people won't see, you know, the amount of pressure that players, coaches, directors of cricket, leaders are under when they're managing such a wide group of individuals. And they really care about that individual as well. How do, how do people manage that stress? Do, I mean, uh, in working in golf, you know, the, when the... When the when physical training came in and it, it was around the same sort of time as cricket, cricket was probably a bit of a bit before that when physical training became a really big thing, they you, golfers tend to use 
physical training as an escape from actual golf. And I wonder whether cricketers now, you look at them now, the, the sixes they hit, the, the speeds they bowl at, these guys are fit, strong, athletic individuals. Do they use physical training as a means to kind of escape that? I think, that, I think that's definitely one avenue that people look to go down when they're looking to relieve stress. I think what's really, really important is that when you're, you know, you're developing young cricketers from a very young age, you have to be um, quite strong in ensuring that they're just not sucked into the vacuum of just thinking about cricket. So it's important that young players, when they're, you know, from the ages of 10 through to 15, 16, 17, they're, they're experiencing as much as they can of life. as many different variety in sports. Um, you know, they're developing relationships outside of, you know, Somerset County Cricket Club. They're developing interests outside of cricket. Um, because when, you, when you're under pressure, when stress starts to form, you need that release. need to be able to step outside of the cricket bubble and that might be family that might be going to the cinema that might be reading that might be watching films that might be going to the gym and there's no doubt that I see a lot of players who you know if they've had a frustrating day there's two ways of dealing with that they can sit in the corner and put their head in their hands and feel sorry for themselves or they've got to try and find something that allows them to flip the switch to get them back into reality again Um, and a lot of players do go to the gym. A lot of players do use physical exercise because of the, you know, the feelings um, that they experience from training, they found very, very helpful. And I think it's been one of our underpinning uh, philosophies in you know, the last 15, 20 years is that there is a massive connection between the physical development to the skill development. And a big learning for us and a big step forward is when players made the connection between skill and what they do in the gym and understanding that for them to be able to be physically robust, mentally robust, and to be able to execute some of the skills that are required, whether it's batting, bowling or fielding, they make the connection of why they're running the miles on the road, why they're in the gym doing all their power lifting, why they do all the rehab and prehab Um, to ensure that they're in the best physical condition they can be because that allows them to perform at their best out in the middle. So physical exercise, you know, is, over the last 20 years has is, is hugely developed and grown within cricket and there's no doubt that it's added real value to not only performance but players' well-being. It's great. It's, it's, it's great that, to see all these different mechanisms that, that go towards making a great cricketer. It's just, it seems everything's in place and you've got an incredible culture there at, at Somerset. So what, what motivates you now? That's a, that's a really interesting question. Success, um, fulfillment, uh, fear of failure. Um, you know, and it'll be different for different people. But for me, I, I want this team to be successful. I want them to win silverware. I want that to resonate across the whole southwest because people connect to somerset county cricket club people connect to exeter chiefs you know there's a real passion about sport in the southwest and you know we've got responsibility and i feel what well, i've got responsibility to ensure that you know we're performing day in day out i love seeing people develop whether it's a player or whether it's a coach 
And, you know, I get a lot of reward, personal satisfaction, when we see a young player like Jack Leach, who was eight years old, now being a national hero playing for his country. I get a lot of reward um, where we've identified a coach who's got a huge amount of potential and we're creating the opportunities for him to go out and be that very best version of himself and seeing him progress through the ranks. Um, and we're seeing that with Jason Kerr, our head coach. You know, as an ex-player, you know, he started off working with the second eleven, and he's then gone on to increase his expertise working with the academy to then be the fast bowling coach for the, the first team, now to become head coach and getting recognised within the ECB and in England teams. You know, I find that hugely satisfying. But the main driver for me is my personal fear of failure. And it's about me embracing that in the fact that I want to be successful in whatever I do. And I've been lucky enough to have been involved in two environments with the Royal Marines and Somerset County Cricket Club, where I've had the opportunity to keep stretching myself, to have an input and influence those, those two environments and, and, and being successful within that. Andy, I mean... It is just absolutely fantastic to listen to you talk. It really is. To, to hear your philosophy, it sounds like you've got an incredibly healthy, robust, competitive culture there at Somerset. And we wish you every success. And I, I really enjoy watching your successes. And uh, the whole of the Southwest is behind you. I, I can guarantee that. So thank you absolutely so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you very much indeed. I've really enjoyed it. Okay, we'll catch up soon. All the best. Oh, what an absolute privilege for Andy to share his journey with us in coaching and leadership. To appreciate that with patience and courage, a consensus approach to coaching can create a healthy and robust culture which encourages the space of people to develop and flourish. His openness to share ideas with colleagues with similar values and beliefs, to develop an environment that encourages growth, which actually at times includes creating some adversity to further their development. We wish Andy and Somerset every success in the future.